You see children who have suffered for a number of years able to distance themselves from that and, and be supported through some of our activities in the learning centres is also one of the best things about the job. Hi there and welcome to the 13th episode of the You and Job Finder Career Podcast by Intoma. My name is Magnus Bucht and for those of you who are listening to this podcast for the first time, this is a show where we want to share the knowledge of what it means to have a career in international organizations and to increase your chances of having such a career with the United Nations, European Union, development banks, intergovernmental or non-governmental organizations. This episode is a conversation that I had some time ago with Carlo Gerardi at the NRC, the Norwegian Refugee Council. Carlo is an Italian that grew up in the UK and has gone from being a lobbyist in Brussels via several different jobs in different NGOs in Vietnam, Switzerland, Pakistan, Ethiopia, Iraq, to where he is today as the head of operations for NRC in Amman, Jordan. Carlo will share how he has grown both professionally and personally during his assignments all over the world and you will learn more about what it is that he is looking for when he's recruiting to NRC. And these are just some of the topics that we'll cover so without further ado let's get right into the interview. Today I'm very happy and honored to have Carlo Gerardi with us on the You and John Finder Career Podcast. Carlo, welcome and great to have you with us. Thanks a lot, Magnus. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Great. Thanks. Carlo, um, you are representing Norwegian Refugee Council, the NRC, and you're currently working as their head of operations in Amman, Jordan. But before you came into this position, you have many years of experience with different humanitarian organizations. So please tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, sure, thanks, Magnus. Yeah, so as you as you mentioned, uh, currently I'm with uh, NRC in Jordan. Um, my humanitarian career started a number of years ago, um, working with NGOs in in Vietnam uh, before moving to Geneva to work for uh, Shelter Center, which is a, a, an NGO working in the shelter sector policy coordination. Um, and then moving out to the field, so working in Pakistan, in, in uh, Ethiopia, uh, Iraq, and, and then now Jordan. So it's been um, it's been a few years of moving around in in uh, different positions, and um, it's been more than three years that I've uh, been in Jordan. Okay, so so when you started, you said that you were in Hanoi and and Vietnam. Who, which organization was that for? Well, it was a, a few different organizations, maybe just to give a background. I mean, I didn't actually move to Vietnam to work in the development sector. It's it's one of those things that happened a bit more by chance. Mm. Um, initially, I was in, in uh, Brussels, and my background is actually European politics. Um, and so uh, I was I was working in Brussels. I had a, a reasonable job and, and kind of career lined up in a way. Um, but felt like something was was missing and that I hadn't had that chance to maybe travel and, and I felt that there was things that I wanted to see and experience before making a commitment to a certain job and so I kind of packed things up 
um, and moved to Vietnam. And initially, I was teaching and, and uh, earning some money that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I started to realize that there was some fantastic NGOs working in, in uh, Vietnam. And also, the, obviously, the context is very different. And coming across many things, in, including... Uh, poverty that I hadn't seen before and challenges of, of uh, organizations trying to find funding to, um, you know, treat diseases that uh, in Europe uh, haven't existed for the last hundred years. Mm. So I started, um, I started trying to apply for internships and knocking on doors and, and managed to uh, get a small position with a uh, trachoma uh, NGO, which is uh, an illness of the eye. Um, and then through that started to work a little bit with the World Health Organization doing a few consultancies and some reports for them mm. and that kind of kick-started the, the experience and, and working in this sector um, okay. and it, it, it's gone from there really. All right, okay, so it was a, more your drive to, to see the world that you took it to Vietnam and then realizing that there was lots of opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it kind of opened my eyes in many ways and, and uh, showed me, uh, showed me a different culture, a different way of life, different challenges faced by different people that I hadn't experienced before. Hmm. Um, and, and something inside me wanted to support and wanted to work in that kind of field. And that, hmm. that's kind of where it started. Hmm. So um, bringing you then to Hanoi, from Brussels and what were you doing in Brussels? In Brussels I was actually working in a public affairs company so it's uh, or I mean also known as a kind of lobbying company so working with parliamentarians with the European Commission um, and the whole uh, institutional setup in Brussels on different legislation um, so it was quite technical um, it was very interesting I mean you know being able to be quite young, uh, recently graduated and sit inside the European Parliament listening to different debates, mm. uh, understanding how the European Union works from the inside was was definitely um, quite an experience, but at the same time I felt like it was a kind of bubble and, and before committing myself to this bubble I had this feeling that there were other things in the world that I wanted to see and experience first. Mm. Um, but yeah, otherwise uh, it would have been... A, <laughs> Uh, uh, probably a career Brussels uh, Eurocrat or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, it's always interesting to hear, I mean, once you started working um, in more the sort of NGO sector, working in the humanitarian slash development sector, um, was there anything that you didn't expect that surprised you? I mean, you came from, from Brussels, working more in, in the political scene with lobbying. Um, what was the main difference? Um, well, the, the, I mean, some. let's maybe start with the similarities. I think that a lot of the policy level, for example, looking mm. at Geneva, the experience, it's similar to Brussels in many ways. Mm. Um, there's a lot of politics happening there. You have to understand the different dynamics of the organizations, the different roles that the organizations play. It's, uh, it has its own language. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's quite difficult to, to enter if you don't speak the right language. Yeah. Um, but probably the, the things that I, I didn't expect were the realities of implementing 
projects in in complex settings, uh, you know, post natural disaster, post conflict, and and I think it's it's very hard uh, until you've done it to really understand what that means from an organizational perspective, from uh, an implementation perspective, mm. and also from a personal perspective in terms of finding things out about yourself, mm. um, what kind of person you are in those contexts, because they are quite often very, very challenging personal contexts. So seeing how you respond to that is, is something that uh, I learned about myself by going through that process in which I, d I didn't know about myself before. Mm. Um, could you? That sounds really interesting. Could you elaborate more a bit on, on that? I mean, what were the settings then you that you were exposed to, and and how did that influence you? Sure. I mean, maybe a good example is really my first proper mission, which was um, in in southern Pakistan. So uh, we were I was working with uh, IOM at the time, and we were responding to the uh, flooding. Uh, in 2010, uh, 2010, sorry, and, and implementing a large-scale shelter response project um, for those people who'd been uh, affected by the flooding. Mm. So, um, you know, I was living in in a southern city in Pakistan, which was extremely isolated, uh, very little uh, available in terms of local uh, <laughs> local resources. You know, not really any restaurants. Often, you're in a guest house in lockdown for long periods of time. At the same time, the pressure is on to try and implement a project to uh, work um, in an area. I mean, the the southern part of Pakistan. It was about the size of the UK. So, mm. you're driving for four or five hours to visit field sites. Um, so it, it tests you in a way psychologically and physically, uh, as well as being extremely far away from friends, family, um, and, and not really having the possibility for people to visit you or to uh, take many breaks, which is, which is really uh, an experience where I came out of it at the end feeling like I'd, I'd grown a lot personally hmm. um, and pushed myself in many, many ways and come through it. Um, and that's not something that I'd done before. Hmm. So did you find out or find any specific strategies that works for you in, in how to deal with situations like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's different and everybody deals with, with uh, stress and, and tiredness in different ways. I mean, I, uh, I managed to create a small kind of uh, garden on the roof of the guest house and with a couple of others, we managed to buy a couple of goats and we got a ping pong table and you take walks when you can. And, and in this day and age, I mean, at least you have Skype so you can be in touch with, uh, with loved ones and friends and you're not completely isolated. You have the internet. Um, but I think it's extremely important. People need to find their own ways of, of relaxing and, and uh, uh, taking a break whenever you can, even if it means you know switching your laptop off at five and, and not looking at emails until midnight and giving yourself a day off at the weekend to make sure you do something different, mm. just to keep yourself in a, in a, a state of well-being, let's say. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely, extremely important. So. Today, in, in your role as head of operations, what is it that you do? Can you, can you describe sort of a typical work week or work month or even a, a typical day for you? 
Sure. Um, so in, in Jordan, NRC has uh, one of the largest programs uh, globally. We have um, education, youth, uh, shelter, information counseling, legal assistance, um, and all of those projects inside the camps in Jordan and also in the host community. And as the head of operations, I'm responsible for uh, the project managers who are implementing those projects and making sure that implementation is on track. So part of my job is uh, visiting the field sites, working with the project managers, understanding what's happening on the ground. Um, part of it is uh, from Amman, uh, the national headquarters, um, working with the country management group, reviewing the uh, more boring side, let's call it, of the, the project cycle, which is making sure that the uh, spending, the um, procurement, and all of the operational sides of the project are also on track. Mm. Um, and so my day, uh, it's split between visiting the field sites, working with the project managers and the teams out in the camp, mm. um, and uh, meeting beneficiaries and those people who we support. Mm. Uh, and then also the operational sides and the project management sides uh, at the Amman level. Mm. Um, Jordan's quite unique in many ways. I mean, we, we have a number of different field sites here. I was talking about the distances in Pakistan before. Jordan's quite a small country, mm. uh, which means that we can be out in the two main refugee camps where we work in Zatri and in Azraq uh, in an hour and a half. Mm. Um, and also up to the northern parts of the country, Irbid and the other areas where we work. And then also back in Amman for, for meetings in the afternoon. Mm. Um, NRC also uh, has, you know, we, we take coordination very seriously and it's one of our value added as an organization. So we co-chair a number of working groups at the national level. Um, so, you know, there's also lots of meetings with... Uh, UN agencies, partner organizations, government line ministries. Hmm. Uh, so there's the whole coordination side of it as well. Hmm. Can, I, can I just ask you, when a field, a typical field site for you in, in Jordan, what, what does that mean? Well, we work in the two major refugee camps here, Zatri, which um, is now around 80,000 uh, people, hmm. Azraq, which is currently around 40,000 people. So. Uh, mo most people have an image in mind of, of what a refugee camp looks like. Um, I think Zatri especially is quite a well-known uh, refugee camp. It's been in the news a number of times over the last few years. Mm. So that's that's very much one of our, our core field sites. You know, you, you go out there and you're meeting people in the camps. You're seeing the staff working in the camps uh, every day. Mm. And then outside of the camps, it's it's urban settings. So it's um, Irbid, for example, is the, I think, uh, second or third largest um, town in Jordan, mm. um, around a million people. So your, your teams are working outreach, uh, working with the communities. We have uh, uh, classroom construction, so we're working in schools as well. So it's visiting the, the new classrooms and the children there. Mm. So it, it differs quite a lot, and it's... it's um, a number of different projects that we have here and the field sites are all quite different. Mm. Great, thank you. So so in total it's about 120,000 refugees that you are supporting. Um, as NRC today in Jordan, yes, it's around uh, 150,000 actually okay. between the camps and the uh, host community projects. Mm. Um, as NRC, I think globally it's around 5. 
three million last year. So it's it's quite a, a large number. Yeah, and and how many staff do you have? Um, we have four hundred and twenty national staff in Jordan, and I think twenty five international staff. Mm. Uh, we also have the regional office based in Amman and um, the Syria office. Mm. So there, there are another two uh, offices as well in, based in Jordan. Mm. Um, it's it's one of the largest, as I mentioned, uh, NRC operations. And we're extremely lucky in Jordan because uh, the capacity of, of the national staff and, and Jordanians in general is, is extremely high. So we're able, you know, recruiting uh, people with uh, undergraduate degrees, master's degrees. I mean, it's, it's uh, an extremely developed country with an extremely high level of, of national capacity. Mm. Great. Well, let's we let's come into that in a in a while. I think that will be really interesting to hear. But when you now describe your role, um, you, you talked about a num- quite large number of different responsibilities that that you seem to have. But if if you bring that down, then to um, what excites you about your job? And I mean, tell us an example of, of a really um, a typical challenge that you face. Um, I mean, it's uh, the, the camps is an easy example. Uh, you know, we, we every winter in Jordan is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, you often have uh, snowfall. You have uh, temperatures at zero, um, and supporting people. One of our functions in the camps is to coordinate the distribution on behalf of all humanitarian agencies for what we call non-food items. Um, so, organizing distributions for 20,000 families um, and making sure that those are coordinated in a way where the most vulnerable are prioritized, where those people who can't come and collect their items are supported by an alternative carer, making sure that people don't have to queue for too long. And just logistically managing that kind of operation is is extremely challenging um, because people are are tired and cold and and often frustrated. But also then when when you do manage it, it's it's a a massively rewarding feeling. Mm. Um, Similarly, we have learning centers in, in the camps where you see children who have suffered for a number of years, horrific conflict. Um, able to distance themselves from that and and be supported through some of our activities in the learning centers is is uh, is also one of the the best things about the job is when when you see people who are able to uh, benefit from what we do and you really see that it makes a difference in their day to day life. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. So for you. Looking then at NRC where you're working now, why did you choose to work for NRC? Um, I mean, I I knew NRC well before I worked for them because NRC has a a global reputation. Before the head of operations position, I was in in, uh, Shelter, Shelter and NFI, and that's one of NRC's core competencies. And in the Shelter and NFI world, NRC NRC has a, a global reputation for technical quality, for um, being an outspoken uh, advocate for uh, the principles of, of good programming. And so it's a, it was a well-known organization to me. And I knew a few people who were working in NRC as well. And 
and luckily the opportunity came to be involved uh, as part of an emergency assessment in Iraq. Um, and so uh, I put my name forward and luckily I was given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what does NFI stand for? It's, uh, well, it's uh, part of this language that I was talking about before, the jargon. It's, it's a non-food item. Right. So that can be anything from, uh, for example, we manage the reception areas in the camps. That means sleeping mats, blankets, uh, hygiene kits, kitchen sets, mattresses, um, cookers, gas, everything which is not food and which, which uh, you need as an item to basically get your life started in, in the camps. Mm. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's good. Excellent. So, um, Carlo, you have been uh, working in many different countries. You've been working for different organizations. You've, you've seen a lot, basically. So, from your perspective, what do you believe is the most important skills that are needed for an, an international career in, in humanitarian or development sector? Um, that's, it's, a, it's a tough question. I think that you have to be uh, somebody who can communicate um, in different ways because every country we work in, um, every different um, context we work in requires different skills in terms of being able to get your message across, mm. in terms of being able to negotiate. Uh, whether it's with local partners, with uh, beneficiaries, with um, governments. Um, so communication and flexibility. I think uh, uh, openness and integrity. Mm. You have to uh, put forward your ideas and you have to believe in them and you have to, and you have to be dedicated enough to, to keep going with those ideas. But um, yeah, adaptability and flexibility are definitely two of the, of the biggest. Mm. And then it's, it's something which you can't really quantify, but it's having the, the right kind of attitude to be able to fit in in, in lots of different um, situations and working with you know, people from all kinds of different backgrounds and, and still being able to um, feel like you're building teams mm. and, and being part of something as well. And I think probably for me, I mean, looking back, um, we were mentioning before, but I'm Italian um, and I grew up in England. My family moved to uh, England when I was two years old, so I, I grew up in the UK. Um, so for me, from an early age, I had, uh, I was very lucky. I had two languages. I had, you know, Italian inside the house and English outside. So mm. I was, I was from a very early age sort of living with two cultures, living with differences, living with um, different foods and, and different weathers and everything else. And, and I think that kind of you, you, you learn how to uh, move between those different worlds. Mm. And, and so I think that for me, that was definitely something which now looking back probably um, helped me a lot when I then started to travel around and, and try to find my way in different contexts. Mm, mm. So, another tricky question. When you, I mean, I, when you say these important skills, I mean, for example, saying attitude, yeah. was when you then are recruiting to, to your team, Mm -hmm. How, in what way can you find out if, if the potential candidate has the right attitude? 
Um, I think it has to be somebody who's positive. You have, you have to be positive and you have to be able to make the best out of very difficult situations. So I'm looking for somebody who um, comes across as, as resilient and positive. Mm. Um, and uh, also, I think the other key thing is, is somebody who comes across as a team player. Uh, you, you can't, in my experience, do very well in, in this sector or, or in many others, actually, um, if you believe you have the answers to everything, if you believe that you're always right and that other people should, should listen to you and, and change their mind immediately. Mm. So I'm, I'm really looking for somebody who, who has their opinions and who puts those opinions forwards um, logically and, and in a way that makes a lot of sense, but is also open to discuss and, and uh, whilst remaining positive is also somebody who wants to be a real team player. That's, that's critical, really. Mm. Great. Thank you. So you mentioned earlier that a bit about what you are um, recruiting or, or what you are looking for now in, in Jordan for NRC. Could, could you tell us a bit more about, about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in terms of the Jordan office, uh, as I mentioned, we have um, over 400 national staff and, the, and those positions range uh, massively from um, engineers who are designing uh, classrooms and architects who are designing classrooms to um, you know, uh, jobs kind of uh, for fresh graduates who are looking for some experience but maybe aren't as um, skilled who are more interested in learning about a life in the humanitarian sector. Mm. Um, we have very technical positions um, in our information counseling and legal assistant teams. So we're working with paralegals, um, education, obviously. We have people, uh, teachers. We have lots and lots of different profiles in the Jordan office. Mm. Um, and then looking based in, in Amman, we have the regional office. And I think regionally now, um, there are around 50 or 60 open positions mm. um, for, for international staff uh, across the region. Mm. So the, the NRC Middle East response and the Middle East Regional Office is, is currently handling, the, I think, one of the biggest growths ever seen by, by NRC. Right. Um, so there, there's a huge number of opportunities in the region. And unfortunately, as a consequence of the fact that this, this disastrous conflict in Syria doesn't seem to be uh, slowing down and the humanitarian response um, is actually uh, intensifying and growing, trying to respond to the issue. Mm. Um, of course, the, the big unknown is, is what will happen when uh, aid uh, and humanitarian access to Syria opens more, and, and that's a whole new uh, world that I think the UN and the INGOs and everybody else will have to adapt to when it happens. Mm. And and how? Um, sorry. Yeah. No, please go on. No, I, I was going to say one of the one. I think one of the rewarding things uh, that I've seen is that you know in the Middle East region. I mean, for me personally, in Jordan, is that these four hundred young Jordanians. Um, you know, are not people who've had 10 years experience in the humanitarian sector. They're, they're people who were uh, graduating from university, who are working in the private sector and who have 
chosen um, to come and work for NRC and, and the ones who are also working for the other organizations, often uh, earning less than what they would be in the private sector. And, and that's wonderful to see and it's extremely rewarding because those people uh, are already at the level where they can start looking and have done already uh, moved to international positions in the humanitarian sector. So in terms of the capacity building and, and watching uh, staff grow, that's that's a fantastically rewarding thing as well. Mm. Yeah, great. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that lots of people hearing this will actually be quite interested. So working there, um, do you, for example, if you are working more in, in, in a field setting on, on the site and so, what are the language requirements that you have? Well, I mean, of course, Arabic is desirable. Mm. Um, it, depending on the, the type of position, it's not essential. So uh, I think that people should should take a look at the job descriptions when they're posted. We post all of the um, international positions and some of the national ones on the NRC global website. We also use some local Jordanian um, uh, recruitment companies to post all of the positions in Jordan for Jordanians who are looking for uh, work with NRC. Um, but I wouldn't say that Arabic is a deal breaker. So if, if you if you feel like you have um, the right experience and you're interested to have a look, don't feel like you shouldn't look just because you don't speak Arabic. Right. Well, that's that's excellent and good to know. And the um, as. We are one of, of NRC's partners. You can also find all NRC's vacancies at, at UN Job Finder, which is also useful. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, Carlo. So to end, because I want to respect your time, I know that you're a very busy person. What would you say if, if you could give any final recommendations to people who are interested in, in working for NRC? Um, what would be the best tips for you? Um, I, I would say spend the time to do the research on on what NRC is doing in the place where you're looking to apply. Um, there's a huge amount of information out there, so make sure that you really understand the context and, and understand what NRC is doing in terms of the, the project and the program. Ask questions, be positive, and, um, and make sure that you apply for positions that really are in line with your background and skill. Mm. Uh, I think that one of the things that often puts people off is when you see the same name applying for seven or eight different positions mm. because you start to to wonder why, you know. So be focused and, and focus on what you're good at. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I would say those are the main things. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much, Carlo. It's been really a pleasure talking to you and for sharing all your insights and experience. So I think that what you've told us has been extremely valuable. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Magnus. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Carlo Gerardi from the NRC. Carlo, again, thank you so much for joining us. To ensure that you'll get all new episodes, we advise you to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. Showing what you think about this show by leaving an honest review on iTunes is something we really appreciate. And at uandjobfinder.org forward slash podcast, you can always find show notes of the episodes and full transcripts. So bye for now and see you in the next episode.